0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. On today's episode, we are talking about declining enrollment in Michigan universities and joining us, the reporter on that story, Matthew Miller. As I said, our guest today, Matthew Miller, as we talk about declining enrollment and my co-host, as always, the one, the only vice president of content, John Heiner, how are you, my friend? Thank you for asking, Eric. I'm very well we've been on hiatus for a couple weeks and uh i had an ache in my heart i've been missing <laughs> missing behind the headlines and missing you eric so we miss you as well but glad to have you back uh, i was uh took some time off and went to a wedding in uh, rural mexico and uh I'd, I'd like to just put a pin in that and come back and have a whole podcast on how interesting that was i would love it uh, yeah but that's not why we're here today while i was gone MLive published one of the most thorough, interesting, and well-investigated packages that we've had um, this year, of course, or just this year, but maybe even the last couple of years. It was a uh, uh, richly informed reporting, and it was on uh, what's happening with our, our state's 15 state universities uh, that are in the state university system, and specifically what's been happening with enrollment and then all of the consequences of declining enrollment. And uh, today uh, on the show, uh, we have the author of that series, them uh, live statewide reporter, Matthew Miller. Good morning, Matthew, and welcome to Behind the Headlines. Good morning, John. How are you? I am well, thank you. And I'm going to ask the first question just partly in jest, but uh, in the last decade, 45,000 students disappeared from our 15 universities. Where did they go? That is a good question.
1: Um, at least some of them just didn't go to college who otherwise might have um part of the reason that enrollment is dropping is that fewer high school graduates are going on to college and and the pandemic exacerbated that i think a lot of students decided either dropped out of school during the pandemic or decided that they weren't going to go while classes were online and Frankly, universities were really hoping for a rebound this year because things have sort of, you know, they they've settled out a little bit. Most schools are are back in person all the time, and it just didn't happen. Um, part of it is that those students, uh, though they just they're just not there anymore. Michigan and a lot of the country really just doesn't have as many eighteen to twenty-four year olds as it used to, and that's a trend that's expected to continue for for quite a few years.
0: Yeah, we'll go into some of the consequences on both the, you know, university system itself and some specific universities. Um, But, you know, back in the early days of the Big Ten, I mean, the last era of the Big Ten, not the current one, when there were actually 10 teams in the Big Ten, uh, they had something they called the Big Two and the Little Eight. Um, And of course, that was Michigan Ohio State. And it seems like there's that sort of phenomenon with the Fifteen universities—they're not all sharing the same um, circumstances right now. And, and why don't you tell us a little bit about the colleges that are prospering and, and the ones that are not?
1: And yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a good that's a good point. Um, so, really, when you talk about collectively, the fifteen public universities in Michigan have lost forty-five thousand students over since twenty eleven, which was the enrollment peak for all of them. Well, you know, just kind of in general. Um... But during that time, the University of Michigan has added about 9,500 students. Michigan State has stayed more or less level. I think they're down maybe 500 students from, where, from their peak. Michigan Tech has grown by a few dozen students, and everyone else has dropped. So what you really have is a loss of somewhere around 55,000 students, spread between the 12 sort of, I don't know, you want to call them like the regional public universities, Mm -hmm. the the schools that don't serve, you know, you know, that, that serve a more local or specifically statewide audience.
0: And you mean the Grand Valley State, Saginaw Valley, perhaps Ferris, uh, those kind of, what would be the smaller or, or the region, like the the directional colleges, Western, Central, Eastern, uh, like that.
1: No, Central and Eastern are the two that have been hit the hardest by this. They've, you know, they've, they've lost, you know, going uh, somewhere around a third of their enrollment.
0: Well, let me stop you there, then. Let's just say Central, and uh, if they've lost a third of their enrollment in, the, in 10 years, how do that, you know, kids are money, and it's tuition, and it's a, a lifeblood of the, of the organization. How do how can they pivot quick enough to to deal with that? And what exactly are they doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, central is, is sort of an outlier in the sense that they peaked a little earlier than everyone, everyone else. So it's not that the loss hasn't been quite that quick, but one, I mean, one of the things they've done is they, they closed four dormitories this year and they say that, you know, they're, they're just shuttering them. They may be used for something else in the future, but, um, but they're, you know, they're, admissions director says they're recalibrating their expectations for how big they're going to be i mean i think they're looking at their goal would be undergraduate classes of somewhere between 10 and 12,000 or total undergraduate enrollment of somewhere between 10 and 12,000 every year which is about where they're they're at right now and much smaller than they were so they're they're looking at a future where they're simply not as big and you know part of the problem is that there's really no good model for how you make a college campus smaller, because most schools and, you know, square footage is something that most of them actually report to the state. And you can look at how, you know, kind of the size of the campus buildings, most of them have been growing, you know, even as even as enrollment dropped, most of them have been slowly getting, you know, they've they've continued to get bigger for the most part. And what's probably going to happen is that, you know, you, you can sustain that for a little while. You can, you know, the schools get state support. Most of them have a fund balance that they can draw on if, you know, if, thing, if things get difficult. And most of them have reduced their the size of their staff, though they've almost none of them have reduced the size of their staff as quickly as their enrollment has declined. So, you know, Central is an example of that. They've, you know, they've they've cut professors pretty significantly. And and I'm I mean, I'm going to say they're outside of their medical school. They've cut professors by about a third. Administrators have been cut far less, maybe maybe four percent, something like that. So there's still probably some shakeout that's going to have to happen in terms of what's the right size of the staff, what's the right size of the campus, and there's just not a great model for how to do it.
0: You know, one of the things back when I was a reporter and I was covering education that i learned that was surprising to me was um how universities in the state of michigan even though they're all in the statewide system are all they all have lobbyists like in lansing and they're all lobbying for to get their bond ceiling raised so they could you know build a new nursing college or a medical school and it, that was an era of expansion and it almost felt like you know, dog eat dog. Like if, if I don't get the money, if, if you get the money, I won't get the money, you know? And so they're all in there fighting to build and expand. Are we past that era? What, what do we see? What do you see in the next 10, 20 years for these universities? Well,
1: nobody really expects any of Michigan's public universities to close. I'll start with that. I mean, they are, it, it's reasonably likely that at least some of the small private colleges will close in the next 10 or 15 years or you know look somewhat different they're just they're the small private schools are a lot more vulnerable they rely much more heavily on tuition they don't get support from the state and a lot of them were not in amazing financial shape prior to this you know a lot of them have been you know spending down their savings in the last few years to kind of maintain to maintain operations and so it wouldn't be really surprising if one or two of them would close that might actually help the state's public universities you'd have another you know 1000 2000 students who might be looking at at the publics instead of instead of a private school um but the public schools are going to look different i mean they're going to have to figure out you know, i mean i guess at least one of the consultants i talked with said that the schools that are successful are the ones who are going to you know, think carefully about, you know, what's their identity, what's the unique experience that they're offering to students that they're not going to get at one of, you know, six other universities in Michigan. And that might mean schools trying a little bit harder to find their niche. What are the pro- What are the programs that they're good at? What are the kinds of experiences, you know, academic or otherwise, that they can offer to students that they're not going to find anywhere else? And it's just going to require some hard priority setting. I mean, I think you see it periodically in higher education. There'll be, you know, departments opened and departments closed and, you know, and universities will pivot, you know, Eastern Michigan University. One of the ways they're trying to draw more students is they've really expanded their offerings in engineering, thinking that, well, you know, this is this is sort of a you know, the, more the kind of program that students are looking for now, and we haven't been offering it, but now we will. Um, but it feels to me like to do this successfully, schools are gonna have to, you know, they're just gonna have to do a little bit more thinking about who do we wanna be, and to make choices that, you know, that follow from that, even if they're not easy.
0: Right, and you, in your reporting, talked about Wayne State University in Detroit, and what I thought was interesting is it's not just going after the pipeline of high school graduates, but working on retention. Why don't you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the sort of, you know, one of the things a lot of people don't know about higher ed is that for years and years, the lots and lots of students didn't graduate. I mean, even at even at good schools, you would see graduation rates of, you know, maybe 50 or 60 percent of students would get out in in six years. And that um, and at Wayne, it was you know, at one point their, their six year graduation rate and, and there's ways of calculating it that make it it's not every student, the federal government just does the students they call first time in any college. So basically that high school senior who graduates and goes straight on to become a freshman, those that's what they use to calculate the graduation rate. but those are also the students who are most likely to graduate in lots of ways. And so at Wayne, that was 24 percent, I think, at one point, like just around a quarter of students would get would leave Wayne State with a degree within six years, which is, you know, that that is you think about, it, it is. Yeah. No, I mean, you think about the, 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 the loss there. Um, it's it's yeah, it's significant. And Wayne recognized that that was an issue and they've they've worked on it over the last 10 years. And I think their most recent graduation rates are 60 percent. I mean, so that's that's something that a lot of schools have been doing anyway in the last you know decade or even more is saying student success is really important. We know how to get students in the door. We need to think much more about how to make sure they get through and get a degree and go on and and can go on and do something. Because, you know, I mean, students who particularly students who borrow money to go to school, if they leave without a degree, they're in a they're in a bad situation. That's you know, they both have a lot of money to pay back and no credential that allow that gives them a better shot at paying it back. So, you know, schools have focused, schools have focused on it and a lot of them have been, you know, they have been improving, but in a lot of ways, those are the easiest students to recruit. The easiest student to recruit to your campus is one who is already on your campus. And so you can, we can probably foresee schools paying attention to like just making sure students who come their freshman year, come back for their sophomore year because that's, you know, That's one way to keep enrollment up.
0: It's an interesting point. And in your reporting, you pointed out that at some universities where they've had an increase, like they've cut perhaps faculty, but they've had an increase in administration. Some of those hires have been student retention or student services uh, uh, working internally to make the college experience better and keep, keep students on campus.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, not every not every administrative hire is an example of bloat at the top. I mean, I think there are people have different expectations of universities and they want people focusing on things like like Title IX, like, you know, sexual harassment on campus, like, you know, certain kind, certain kinds of reporting that. You know that's that's a thing that students and their parents and the higher ed community more generally has agreed that those things are important. And you know the same is true for student success. You know you want you want students not just kind of showing up and spending their freshman year bewildered and you know and leaving after they don't after they don't do pretty well. They you want people there who can say you know no this these are the steps you need to take. These are the resources that are available to you. And so some of that is you know is doubtless to the good. Now it's it's hard to say what's not to the good, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say what, what might not, which of those jobs might not be, you know, helping the overall enterprise quite as much.
0: Right. Um, As a parent of a Michigan State University junior, I'm acutely aware of tuition and uh, tuition increases, uh, uh, room and board increases, all that stuff, which is nothing new in education. It happens every year. But it would seem to me, just logically, that as uh, enrollments go down—not not at Michigan State, but in general—that uh, if there's not significant reductions, let say Central Michigan's closing some buildings and cutting staff, but if if there are not commensurate cuts in expenses, then tuition burden is going to go up. And I know state aid is a, a piece of that pie too. But what should what did you learn, and what should we expect about how the costs will be shifted or transferred to students and parents?
1: I mean tuition prices have gone up pretty quickly anyway. I mean, you know, you certainly Michigan in Michigan, a lot of that traces back to a big cut in state support for higher ed that happened in 2011. It was the first year of Rick Snyder's administration. Um, And, and, and that, you know, that, um, that is something that um, state funding for higher ed hasn't recovered from yet. I mean, it's adjusted for inflation there have been increases since 2011, but adjusted for inflation. Colleges and universities still are not getting as much money as they did prior to that. Um, and, and that, you know, that's not unusual, necessarily. A lot of times when state government sees when there's a financial need, they recognize that colleges and universities have other ways to make money, and that's tuition. And so they they feel a little freer to to make those cuts.
0: You know, Matt, when I did cover education, uh, I knew a school superintendent who said uh, he said, I don't and he said, I don't look at next year's you know junior class or even the eighth grade class. I go look at the kindergarten class if I want to know the future of my my finances. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we're translating this to the college experience, what do these institutions see demographically that's going to impact them? Uh, And, you know, what's what's prone to change and what isn't in this scenario?
1: Sure. I mean, so. To understand this, it kind of helps to think about the 2008 recession. So 2008 recession, um, one of the things that people did afterward was they flooded into into universities. Universities are counter cyclical with the economy when the economy is bad. People go to school because it's they. Because it's a good place to be when you can't find a job. Because they think they'll, you know, they want to retrain and get new skills so they can find something. So, in part for that reason, um, enrollment in Michigan hits its height in 2011, just a few years after the after the recession. It's just shy of 302,000 students. But the other thing people did during the 2008 recession was they stopped having babies. Um, Birth rate dropped pretty significantly, and. What you're looking at is, you know, you fast forward 18 years from that, and you have, uh, and you get yourself to 2026, and that is, and that's, it's at right at 2025 when the numbers are are supposed to start going down again. The numbers, the the you know, the projected numbers of high you know high school graduates each year, and so right now we have projections out through 2037, and it's a pretty steady drop. In Michigan, it's going to be about, I think, about ten percent overall, some something like that of of high school grads, and that's you know that's you know you're looking at, I mean not a not every one of those people would have gone to college and whatnot, but you're still looking at maybe, you know five thousand you know five thousand people who aren't going to be enrolling in universities.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so this each, cycle is going to continue, and some right. of the you know phenomena you described like what's happening say State Central, and I wanna keep going back to them, but one thing I found interesting was the element of competition for these students between these schools. And um, it is not like competition on a football field, but they are competing to get kids to uh, apply and enroll. And I thought it was interesting that uh, an official at Central Michigan who's involved in enrollment said, their biggest competition is Michigan State. And Michigan State had enrolled a really big class this year and it felt like it came right out of the skin of central Michigan. Do these schools have to look at it like a competitive playing field? Uh, that's my first question. I have a second one after you answer.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I, the spokesman, a spokesman for the University of Michigan seemed to insist that they weren't really competing with with other schools. And that might be true. I mean, they certainly have a different audience. They draw more nationally and internationally in a lot of the smaller schools in Michigan. But I think it's also possible to look at it as, a, you know, every michigan student who gets into the university of michigan who otherwise wouldn't have maybe as a student who didn't go to you know doesn't who then doesn't go to msu or western and kind of on down the chain every you know domino yeah i mean if you look at msu admitted something like 85 percent of its applicants this year which is about 20 percentage points up from just a few years ago so i think what you're seeing is a lot of schools they're admitting more applicants and you know when and if an applicant has a choice between central and and michigan state a lot of them are going to michigan state's just it's got a higher profile and a lot of students are going to pick
0: them right and that, did you see any evidence in your reporting that academic or in, in, admission standards are being lowered um if if you it seems like it's Michigan State a strategic decision to a lot admit more students, but are, are the standards changing it so that you you lower the bar a little bit to get more in?
1: You know, I didn't actually, and you know, and MSU does report the average, you know, the average ACT score, SAT score, GPA from its students, and they've that's they're pretty much they're pretty much where they were. Now those are those are rough measures, and a lot of students don't admit they don't submit test scores anymore because MSU doesn't require it and high school GPA you know it 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 can it can vary so it's not it's they're imperfect measurements but based on what we've got it doesn't seem like it now of course that could become more evident as time goes on
0: in your reporting too you talked about some other state systems Michigan's is different than California or New York or Georgia that have a top-down state system where you know, the state, the administrators who lead these systems can make executive decisions to cancel things and mer- merge things and cut things. And, and ours are like three of our universities are, you know, chartered, you know, that it, it is our own government units. I mean, uh, Michigan, Michigan State and Wayne State, it's different in Michigan. And the, I think you said in Georgia, they You know, they had merged some colleges and made some decisions, strategic decisions to do that. Is there anything that can be done like that in Michigan or is it such a different system that that's off the table?
1: It would be harder. I mean, I you know, the you know, certainly Michigan State, University of Michigan and Wayne State are you know, they're there in the Michigan Constitution and they have their own elected, statewide elected boards. And, you know, the legislature can threaten their finances, but they can't order them to do anything really. So so those, you know, it's probably out where they're concerned. Not that those are the universities that would have been merged in in any case. Um, You know, it feels like it's not impossible. I mean, you know, you, you, you would have to get buy in from the communities here. But, you know, you, you look at, say, and again no one is talking about this and the folks who the you know the lobbying organization for the state universities says that that's not a conversation that anyone's having or that they they care to have at this point i think they don't necessarily see my sense is that they don't see the value in it um but but you look at say you know lake superior state started out as part of michigan tech and you know would it be you know back in the 40s or 50s. Um, I'm I'm forgetting their their founding date. But, you know, would it be the worst thing in the world to put them back? Maybe not. Again, I don't think anyone there wants to, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like it's impossible. It feels like, you know, financial you know, the financial conditions could deteriorate to the point where that starts to where that starts to look attractive. And the legislature could certainly create incentives to do it if that's something that people had the political will to do
0: right we're getting to the end of our time here i'm behind the headlines matt and i appreciate you joining us i just want to ask you my last question is you spent a lot of time researching this project looked at a lot of data and and, uh, examples of what different schools are doing what's the thing that surprised you most during the reporting of this project let
1: me think about that i mean honestly the the project began in part by you know I I uh, I was a higher education reporter for about a decade in the early starting in the mid2000s and and went and became an editor for some years and and I hadn't just hadn't looked at a lot of these numbers for a while and looking at what had happened with enrollment and just the sheer size of the drops at some of these schools I mean you figure, a third of your students is a lot of students. That's That's got to, you know, that that's the sort of thing where you can't, you know, you can't really paste it over with a tuition increase. You have to start making changes that impact the, you know, the kind of, you know, the heart of the institution. And, and I, I got, I really wanted to know what that was going, what that was going to look like. And I don't think we've seen the full consequences really yet.
0: Well, we will, and we'll be there to report it uh, as it unfolds. And thanks again for joining us. It was very illuminating reporting. It's a uh, invigorating discussion. Thank you for joining behind the headlines this morning. And uh, thanks to our listeners, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next week.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: There he goes. Big thanks to Matthew for joining the podcast. And as always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week. He is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulcran. And this is behind the headlines.